Hi, this is Simon from Silent Sales. I hope you've been enjoying my sales tips at Silent Sales UK on Instagram. You're in for a real treat in this episode of Don't Sell Yourself Short as I'm joined by international HR leader and author of the best-selling book, How to Get What You Want in Seven Weeks, Julie Provino. Julie's an expert on authenticity, which of course we cover, but I challenge you to find another podcast which will manage to cover off the causes of negative thinking, how to build unshakable confidence, the human need to connect, tacit knowledge diffusion, and your reticular activating system. If you do, then let me know and I'll send you a gold star. Otherwise, enjoy. So hello to Julie. Hi, how are you? I'm okay, thanks. Yes, I'm uh, just trying to work out um, whether I'm going to be in lockdown, partial lockdown, full lockdown, uh, high alert or whatever it is, but I'm trying to let it wash over me, to be honest, because I'm sick of trying to second guess it. What about yourself? I think, yeah, it's just, I'm just going to be me and manage as best I can, Yeah, pretty much. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll try to. Yeah, exactly. Well, the first thing I, I like to ask my guests is about podcasts in terms of podcasts in their life, what they listen to, where they listen to them. Maybe they don't listen to them. And I just wondered uh, how much the medium has uh, infiltrated your home and your headphones. So I have listened to podcasts in the past. Um, I must admit, I don't listen to podcasts as much as I'd like to because I have a very busy home life. Um, but I have listened to podcasts. I find them really relaxing mm. because it, it's a conversation and you can just let your mind, you know, flow with whatever is being said. And, and usually I do get some really good nuggets of knowledge. So I enjoy them, but I don't do it enough. Well, I guess that might say that you, your life's very busy. It's difficult. I know that um, a few guests and a few of my friends indeed have said that quite often a podcast a little like the radio is a sort of companion piece to doing something else um so it's not necessarily something that they'll sit and listen to specifically but they might be i don't know ironing drinking who, who knows what they're doing <laughs> driving long journeys definitely long journeys deserves deserve podcasts yeah i i struggle i must admit with um with spoken word whilst whilst i'm driving because it's too relaxing I need uh, I need music or at least the radio with a bit of talk and music because uh, otherwise I'd wake up in the hard shoulder probably. But I guess we're all different. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the th one of the main themes that um, that we're going to talk about, um, which is you know based around uh, one of your books, I'd like to talk about um, being authentic and authenticity because obviously you're uh, well well-read learned guests on on that topic <laughs> and uh i just wanted to sort of delve into that a little bit to start with so i this isn't the extent of my research but i'm going to start with the oxford dictionary definition of authenticity so it defines it as the quality of being genuine and true one of the things um, that you talk about in your book is finding and embracing your true self so I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about this. And in your experience, do people even realize that they're not being their true selves already? So this answer has different levels. Um, I think the definition that you've just read is a really good one for how we want to perceive life on, on the outside, um, specifically with social media being so prevalent these days and it's all about look at me this is a photo of me on 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 a normal day um in my case being a mom and you know just putting on whatever i can find in my wardrobe um when other people may want to airbrush themselves or snapchat themselves where the book really comes to is being authentic with who you are so acknowledging the the good the bad the ugly the great and and so on and just having the courage for really being honest um with others 
as well as yourself. Um, and I'm actually in the process of writing book number three, which, which talks about that a lot deeper. Um, I do some work with individuals who believe that they are being honest um, with themselves and still are not there. Um, we call it having a secondary gain. So by, by playing a certain strategy or convincing themselves of something different than what really is there, they're not being completely authentic. And the deeper you can go with being completely authentic with yourself, um, the, the greater choices you have, the greater enjoyment you get from just being you in this crazy world we live in. So do you, okay, so do you, do you think people are, are they consciously um, heading towards that secondary gain then? Are they, are they, is it sort of conscious self and a subconscious self in that they are um, trying to portray, I don't know, maybe in work you need to portray a certain you and then perhaps at home you're a different you. Is it generally that people are doing that knowingly or is that something that's just happening without without them realising? A bit of both. Um, So if you look at children, um, that's where I get quite a lot of inspiration from. I have now running a a kind of authentic programme so that if I... If I tell her off, for example, for, you know, slapping her brother, um, she will go into kind of a victim mode and leave the room and go, oh, I've upset you. I'm terrible, mummy. Something like that. Um, so <laughs> it, it's normal human behavior, right? Uh-huh. But her secondary gain is that I tell her off. She, does, she runs this. So she gets my attention and potentially uh, it's a, okay, I love you type of response. So we, we do that consciously and unconsciously. So in, the, in adult life, in the workplace, there are, there are ways of consciously getting a secondary gain, um, you know, playing something up or, you know, enhancing a trait, for example, um, and you do that consciously. And other times you do it completely unconsciously and you're not even, you're not aware of it yourself but you, you're still running programs to get the outcomes you desire at that time. Is there sometimes then that people will, um, in work, they'll play up to perhaps a stereotype? And obviously this um, podcast has a thread of, 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 of sales running throughout, or at least it's supposed yeah. to. That's supposed to be my job. And uh, <laughs> the, the, obviously there's um, an, an archetypal sort of stereotype of a salesperson, which is not particularly positive. And is, mm-hmm. is there an element where... Um, some some people in their jobs think that they that they need to put you know they need to portray that I'm, I'm sort of maybe another stereotype where people can overcompensate and you know in the 80s you know women famously wore the shoulder pads and 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 the rest of that sort of thing is that is that fair is that something that people are still doing I don't mean the shoulder pads <laughs> well you know the shoulder pads could come back who knows um so if I think, you know, even, even of me, so I, I was brought up in France and coming to the UK in my 20s, I used to think it was uh, very good in a bar to speak like this. And then guys would buy me drinks, you know? Um, and I believe when, when we're talking about um, conscious and unconscious behavior, um, it's all about our human bias. You know, do I think that if I go out there to meet a client and wear a bit of lipstick and, you know, do my hair nicely as a female will, you know, increase my chances of closing, closing a cell? Yeah, I will make an effort. I won't show up in my slippers. Um, Not again. Not after the incident. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Do I think that um, you may want to put a personality trait forward in a sales concept uh, context absolutely um because at the end of the day that's what i believe and we can talk about that but people buy from people um if i'm to say you know have a conversation with simon lunt he's great at what he does well okay that's fine but if i say hey i've worked with simon and this is what he does and you know really help me with my you know with understanding my sales process and how i can enhance etc then there's a story then there's a thread there's an attraction and it's all about 
it's all about the package whether it is conscious or not conscious we we do bring a package when when we're in the selling mode yeah okay so does that does that um by the way i'll send the five pounds separately um (laughs) did you see how i did that (laughs) i I was impressed yeah you got it in quite early so i think that's an extra i know um cheers (laughs) <laughs> uh, is is there a link there then where um it, 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 is there a is there an inherent link with empathy on, on that side then so salespeople are often taught and marketeers are taught to and maybe hr professionals speak in the language of the person receiving what you're saying so you are essentially putting yourself in their shoes using using the words they're familiar with speaking in a way they're familiar with is that am I creating a link there that doesn't exist or do you think that they do go hand in hand this sort of um, uh, unconscious sorry the conscious you in a work context context and having empathy I mean I suppose just to before I let you answer maybe there could be the element of a charlatan who is pretending to care or you know telling some selling something they don't believe in but generally speaking is that is there a link there do you think so um, it's time for me to disclose as well. Um, I'm an NLP trainer. Um, so within, within the context of NLP, of course, you will always try to, um, to increase rapport with your client uh, or your, or your um, p- prospective client. Um, so mirror their language and um, understand their different processes for do you know the how how do they make decisions i want to know how you make decisions so i can help you make a decision around this product that i'm offering um there is that but then again there are sales techniques where it is oh you want my product but you're not prepared to you know you are not prepared to pay for it so let me walk away mm. and there you provoke you provoke the need or you provoke the client if there is still one at that time so it's I don't think that it's good or bad to consciously or unconsciously, you know, wanting to, to bring something to, to the client or the customer or, or whoever you're with. I think it's good to consciously know your, your toolbox and use it. And at the same time, let all the, the unconscious pattern just evolve and flow because, you know, I've sat with some of the, in my HR career, I sat with some of the best, sales people out there um, and they have something NLP trainer cannot train they have something in them that is authentic that is attractive um, and that's completely unconscious to them and I still can't figure it out it's me Um, it's like when you walk walk into a room and you know there's been a disagreement um, happening in that room between people even before they mention it you know right. that there's a little bit of that that flair these signs we pick up so mm. they're kind of our authentic they're kind of our, it, it's a bit of everything which makes it fascinating yeah it's fascinating no, I, no that, that's amazing so I, i've touched on a a, a, a subject um in a, in a previous episode where i talked quite a lot um about pressure and um and stress in the in the workplace um which i'm sure you come across regularly with your clients and uh i am um, just to talk about that a little i mean i consider myself um inherently a positive person um but when i'm under what i'd probably describe as extreme pressure particularly when it's from a personal perspective um i can fall into the trap of negative thought patterns and you know, even um, catastrophizing, that's an easy word, isn't it, um, at times. Um, I, just, I just wonder, um, in, in, in your HR career and with, you, with your clients now, is this sort of a common thing that you come across in particular in the sales and maybe marketing functions where, or even or, or other um, high-pressure careers? Is that, is that something that you're seeing more? Are people talking about it more? Or are you seeing the effects of it? Um, I'm just interested on your perspective on extreme pressure and its effects on people in the workplace. So there are some people who thrive under that sort of pressure. If you, if you look into the, the sporting world, um, they are under a significant amount of pressure. And I know from sporting coaches, 
um, specifically in elite sports, will use that pressure to to drive a certain behavior mm-hmm. um, to to get the the positives out of well the positive outcome out of everything. Um, I find it doesn't work so well in in the workplace. I've worked with a lot more well, thousands and thousands and thousands of high performers, people in sales, people in you know admin, people in marketing, and so on, and what I have found is that pressure is good for a certain while, but when the individual is not getting their, their own needs met, um, then they just crumble. Um, and then exactly they, they start this, this pattern of, of ne- negative thinking. And there, there's generally three, three main causes for that. Um, and I've, I've specifically studied high performers in organizations because these guys fascinate me. You know, they're, they're at the top of their game and we give them this and we give them that and, and they take it and they, you know, kick the ball out of the park every time. Mm. So what happens for them to start crumbling down under that pressure in which, under which they thrived um, in the past? Mm. And what tends to happen the first one is that they have a complete disalignment with the purpose of the company um, or the organization in which they work. So the, you know, let's say they're um, general manager for, for Sweden and the company decides, well, you're brilliant at what you do, but I need you to take over the, uh, you know, the company in Azerbaijan, uh, move your family and do that. You are top bloke, go and do it. And then they feel that they're no longer in tune with what the, the organization as a whole is trying to do. And that's when they, they start losing faith. Okay. The second one is when their work seems to have no value anymore. So I've seen that a lot with individuals who will, you know, who are used to Wow, oh, you're brilliant, etc. And then, for example, they work for a couple of months or even just one whole night on a report, you know, and then present it. Mm-hmm. And the, the outcome is like, ah, yeah, good, thanks. And it's like, well, what, what happened? You know, where's the, where's the praise, etc. Yeah. And the, the last one is again around, you know, around this whole thing of self worth. Um, it, it's around being completely, completely sidetracked. Um, so it, it's again, when you, you pull that rug underneath their, their, their success feet and there's no understanding as to why did this happen? So they don't feel that, that recognition, they don't feel that praise, they don't feel they belong or they believe that their, their work is selfless. And yeah, it all comes down to this self-worth. And sometimes, you know, for example, the first um, example I gave about this general manager of Sweden music moving to Azerbaijan, sometimes it's not explained to them that they have skills that are truly, you know, excellent. Um, and we're just using that for them to use those skills into a complete different environment. Right. Um, sometimes people are just sent from one client to the next, from one territory to the next, from one product to the next. Mm. And the change seems so big when they're not actually in connection with, oh, I can do this. It can be a new adventure for me and I can thrive again. Yes. Yeah. So it's how you that frame how you frame the change essentially. I know my, my brother is an example where he has a very specific skill set and his job role has changed across the group of companies quite a number of times, but I think they're quite good at explaining, look, you've turned this around for us. We need you to apply those skills in this different industry. Away you go. And he gets the, and then I guess he's bought in early on to, to achieving that and feeling like he's doing the job that he's been asked to do. And he's actually, done a good job previously so yeah that is that is interesting okay so um back to sales a little bit again i i think it can be easy to think of salespeople in particular as really confident extroverts but personally in my experience some of the best people uh, salespeople that have worked for me and that i've worked with have been introverts and that and i've had to boost their confidence in their own ability 
So because, possibly because of that stereotype. I mean, your, your book can show people how to build what you describe as unshakable self-confidence. So the cynic in me is saying, is this truly achievable? As long as you know who you are. Uh, you know, kind of, as long as you're really honest and in, I would call it nearly un, in peace with who you are. Like where, okay, in, in those human values, where you can look into someone's eyes and say, I am truly sorry and mean it. Where you can even, you know, apologize to yourself. Um, where, you, you know, sometimes you meet people and they have this, this aura around you know they, they have this whole peace thing going on it's usually a sign that they're very connected inside and you know there has been times I would classify myself as an introvert there has been times where people try to you know rock my boat a little bit and sometimes they will manage to as well mm -hmm. however I know who I am I know what I am um, and you know, I, I've been in situations with people screaming at me, crying at me, you know, a whole wrath of emotions. Um, I've been in situations, um, one that I wouldn't want to, um, to do again, you know, those cold calling sessions where all day, all the time, the phone is being put down on you. And that's quite, it, it's a tough one, right? Mm -hmm. um, having the door slammed in your face and stuff like that. Now, I know who I am. And I know that the events of one day out of 365 times, how many years of my lifetime, those do not impact the core me. Those do not change my beliefs um, or, you know, my product. When people buy, for example, my book, they're purchasing the book. And if they don't like it, that's their prerogative. Um, but they, they can't, not like or they, they can't say oh I don't like Julie because of her book I don't like Julie because of the way she spoke at me yeah. um I was like, well that that's your decision and it, it's not being selfish it's really about being comfortable with what what's happening inside and clear with your thought processes as well so where when people I mean most people, but particularly maybe someone in the public eye, a celebrity, is essentially living their life online or in, you know, wherever. So you mentioned social media right at the beginning, but where, you know, some celebrities, for example, are tweeting, you know, every, every, well, not every hour, every more than every hour. And maybe they have a bad day and may, or maybe they, um, maybe they communicate a view that perhaps flies in the, in the face of, um, what might be politically correct or um, common held beliefs. I mean, obviously, uh, a famous one was, um, oh, I've forgotten her name, jo, the Harry Potter lady. What's she called? Oh, not Hermione Granger, but yeah. Well, the... uh, no, no, it was, uh, that, uh, oh God, people are going to be screaming when they listen to this. I'll have to edit this bit out. Uh, J.K. Rowling. Thank you. No? Oh, yeah. Okay, that's the she, one. She, um famously had some sort of uh, slightly unpopular beliefs around transgender issues and seemingly um, the impenetrable cloak that she had around her, you know, in the, in the eyes of, uh, well, probably two or three generations of, of, of people started to, uh, you start to see cracks in it. You know, is, is, is that a, a thing that you're seeing more of where people have, being even more careful of what they're saying or they're like you said they're being judged very quickly and essentially harangued or even made to leave a company made to leave their career because you know they've just had a bad day or a slip of the tongue or something like that is that is that more than it used to be in your experience yeah no it, it's a great point because i i do think there is a trend um we've had in the last 10 years we've had all of these scandals, uh, the Me Too and now Black Lives Matters and, and all of that jazz where everybody in general is being cautious about, mm. you know, I, it, it's quite funny. My, my husband is of color and we were talking about, should I call you Toffee? Should I call you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I did not know what was correct anymore. Um, and same thing with my kids. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's kind of weird because your, your skin color is your skin color. Mm. Um, and surely that has an impact on your identity. And when you don't know how to identify yourself, you know, mm. I, you, I, I completed a questionnaire this morning, which was asking me if I was, I don't know, female, male, blah, blah. And, and the, the list was long. And I was like, I don't know half of those terms. No. Um, the, it's overwhelming. Now, more and more people are being judged for what they put on the internet at the same time. You know, when you touched upon the um, celebrities posting every hour, how do we know it is them and not somebody else? Mm. Um, because sometimes in, in sales or in marketing, um, any attention is good attention. Mm. Um, and I, I've, I've witnessed um, large companies using that technique to get, you know, if, if the CEO of, a, of an account you want to you, you wanna hit goes, your email is offensive, please stop sending X to me or your, you know, what you've just said is offensive, then you can go, oh, we're sorry, shall we talk? Or yes, shall we talk? So you actually get a reaction. So some people, I believe, might, might be using that as a technique to get. Yeah. Have you seen the, um, the film uh, Social Dilemma? Yes where actually I, f I find it fascinating where there is a fight for our attention. Mm. And I was, so, okay, I might go all conspiracy theory, um, but so some people are doing it voluntarily. I also expect a good proportion of people are just, you know, putting things out there and not meaning any harm. Mm. Um, Again, with the with the skin color thing, I get very upset with my own mother for, you know, my kids are uh, seven and four. Um, and my mom calls my kids uh, scallywags. <laughs> and I, I find it very offensive, very offensive. And my mom, who is, you know, in her in her 70s, she's like, oh, of course not. You know, it doesn't mean anything. Mm. And and. and there is absolute zero doubt that she would take a bullet for my kids, that she loves them and all of that. So mm. what you could be putting on social media around, you know, I'm really proud of my gay friends. They got married. And then, you know, you get trolls coming in or, or people taking this the wrong way, or I don't know. It, it's just such a pressure, social media, especially such a pressurized environment. Mm. And you're not, it's then I would say it's for you to choose it, social media is like a house it's for you to choose which windows you're going to keep open which windows you're going to close and you know draw the curtains on um, and many people are not taught how to choose so they just put it all out there well, I like, um, I like that. but like you said if they even if they do if they if like for example within your book they can understand how to how to be well understand their true self and have that unshakable self-confidence then perhaps they they can be um quite open about what they actually think and say what they want to say as long as it's not you know harmful to others deliberately then i guess mm. there's nothing wrong with that and it's not good and all the trolling and bad press that might come along with that won't affect them as badly as maybe maybe someone else yeah and it so here's here's a tip you know in in the book I actually talk about it um you I believe that you never complete the whole cycle of working on being authentic there will always and we've all learned it during lockdown there is always a little dark you know corner in there with a big aha for you um there's always something to discover um preconceived ideas or things you believe about yourself that aren't true things that you may believe about other people that mm. aren't true i think it's more knowing what are your triggers and whether or not you want to respond to those triggers or not yeah. um simple example i had someone oh, believe it or not calling me rude on facebook how dare um it. How dare they? Exactly. And it was very tempted to just, you know, virtually give the person a, a virtual slap and expose their 
silliness, not stupidity, to the whole world because I know I can because I'm superior. And it's like, do I really want to waste, you know, that energy, that amount of time, all that, you know, do I even want to give that person space in my brain? Mm. No, no, I don't. I'd rather have a cup of tea and <laughs> enjoy it. Well, you mentioned sort of COVID there. I've, I've, I've got a question for you about pre-COVID, if you can remember back then. Um, but already the world was shrinking. Um, people's relationships were changing. Uh, remote meetings were already a thing, although it's as if Zoom never existed. I, I don't know what happened to Skype, but uh, that's another, another topic, I guess. Um, online dating was booming. Less people were going to pubs already. They were closing regularly as it was. Email and text was already becoming a dominant form of communication, both in and out of work, etc., etc., etc. It can be argued that relationships are becoming less meaningful and perhaps shallower. Um, and I just wondered what your what your thoughts were in this sort of um, friends and likes um, chasing world that we seem to be living in now. Yeah. So you're touching a brilliant point. I'm glad I didn't read your questions before. <laughs> so I had actually written book three, which is called Connection, which was about how exactly what you're, you're, you're talking about, about how the world is shrinking around us and we're disconnecting. Even though we're more connected, we're disconnecting ourselves. Um, and then lockdown happened and I had to, well, I'm, I'm in the process of rewriting it um, because so, so much has changed. Right. I think, oh gosh, this is going to be another long answer. Go but I think that the human being in our nature needs to be connected. You just need to, um, to read you know, a couple of books from um, Jonathan Hari, Chasing the Scream and, and things like that, where it is in our nature to want to exchange and feel that we matter to other people. Mm -hmm. And what the, the internet and what social media and all of that, it, it, it's been built with a great intention, really positive, mm -hmm. um, but it's made it easier, easier for us, you know, for example, to pick up your phone and go, I don't love you anymore. We're over. You know, it, it's easier than actually, you know, think about our teenage years when the internet didn't happen, when yep. we had to pick up the phone because that was the cheap thing to do and break up when our parents, they probably wrote letters to break up. Um, and beforehand they needed to have conversations. Now it's, it's easier. Like I hate personally being on the phone to my own family um, which is something that I'm working on um, because it's easier to be on WhatsApp, you right. know, express your thoughts and feelings through a GIF. I love that personally because it's easy. However, connections are not easy and you can only grow from really going deeper into those connections. Like this is going to maybe sound weird, but when I have a very strong disagreement with my husband and we've had quite a few during lockdown I've had to go deeper into who I am you know I've really had to go deeper into who I am so I can give back out and our connection is now a hell of a lot deeper than what it was um, I do think that you need to get out and make that effort not with a million likes but um, to your life because I don't know, uh, Bob in, in Leicester doesn't give two about you, just saw a picture and liked it pretty much. Mm. Um, but pick five people who truly matter and pick up the phone. I think I, I talk about it in the first book, How to Get What You Want, where I came to a point where I called my own dad um, and we, we've had a, an interesting journey together. Um, but I called him and I was like, hey, dad, how are you? And he went, oh, yeah, you know, the, I've just been gardening, doing that. It's like, no, 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 no. How are you? Right. And I, I, I let the silence happen. Uh -huh. It was rather uncomfortable. Um, but what I got back from it, whoa, goosebumps. You know, I am someone, I know I'm loved. And I know that because I've, I've done the hard graft. Um, and I've been me to the point of 
you know, not pretty me. Um, and I'm still there and people are still rallying around me. Um, and look at my Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I don't have a million likes, but I feel great about who I am. And I think that's what matters. Okay. So, yeah, so just touching on that a, a, a little bit, um, something I actually cover when I talk about cold calling or when I'm training um, with cold calling, this isn't necessarily, a, this isn't supposed to be a plug. It's, it's genuine re response to what you were saying in that I, I try and frame things. So I'll say, um, how many of you have had a um, romantic relationship uh, before the one that you're in? Slightly, uh, slightly impertinent question. I, I appreciate, but I'm not going to ask details. And you know, most people will sheepishly put their hands up. Um, and then I'll say, um, have any of you been in a long distance relationship? And maybe one or two might might admit that they've that they've been there. And I'll say, how did that go? And usually you get a little giggle because they're not particularly they don't have a particularly good success rate. So what I said, what, and these are general, genuinely salespeople or business owners looking to look at, to make more prospecting calls. And I'll say, so if you take the easy way out in terms of uh, communicating with your customers, you're probably going to get the same result. And what I mean by that is, and it probably may be something you touch on in your, in your new book, I don't know, but we sanitize our communication now. So before, if I want to have a long-term, a long-distance relationship with a customer, I can write a beautifully crafted email, fantastic grammar, no spelling mistakes. It's been rewritten three times, and it absolutely nails it. And when they receive it, they have, they can read it at their leisure. They can reread it, and then they can do exactly the same on the other end and craft their response. And we have this artificially perfect. Um, correspondence where everything has been sanitized but for example in a podcast like this you don't know what I'm going to say next and I don't know what you're going to say next and I think people believe that they've lost the ability to have a conversation whereas actually and I don't know the science on this so it might be stand corrected but we we're actually pretty good at having conversations most of us even the introverts amongst us the extroverts whoever it might be quite often the extroverts are, are not quite as good because they, they maybe they're fronting who knows however the fear of the unknown is putting people off picking the phone up and it of course it's easier to send a text it's quicker you can spell check it you can be concise um, and the risk is minimal and it's then sanitized at the other end and I, and I challenge people to say well literally what's the worst that's going to happen if you pick the phone up and what I challenge people to do a bit like what you said with your dad is think of a friend that you've not spoken with for quite a long time who you had some good times with there's no there's no particular reason why you've not spoken to them for a while you just haven't life's complicated ring them up tonight now people screen calls more than they used to and they might not be in a place mm. where they want to take the call however if they do i guarantee that you will be absolutely buzzing with so many endorphins after the call that you won't be able to you won't be able to measure them although i don't know how you measure them anyway so and and i think that sort of aligns a little bit with what you're saying there that i don't know whether we're losing the art of conversation because of the all these new things that we've got i think it's still inherently within us but i mean i'm guessing that's something that you've seen as well and i don't know what your thoughts on that are i've seen a lot of that happening um and i've seen a lot of good coming out of conversations and that's what i i aim to do in the in the you know bringing all of this into the hr world um where you, know, you have performance management you have the law saying this and form x doing that and at the end of the day it's just how qualitative the conversation can be and when you think of conversations it, it's always two-way right so it's not for example it's not for me right now to wait until you finish speaking so i can bring my side of the story it's really for me to hear what you're saying internalize it and then get something of value out otherwise it's just chit chat yeah. um i was really you know, when you were talking it brought me back to a conversation i had with um a client um probably last week where we were literally talking the, about this this topic around 
connecting around um, having meaningful, meaningful rapport. I think that's probably what we mean. Uh, meaningful rapport with someone. And he actually picked up the phone to the godfather of his first child whom he hadn't seen or spoken to for like 10 or 15 years. Um, I don't remember the exact details, but something along the lines. Mm -hmm. And when he spoke to his friend, um, he was like, oh, how are you, you know, Bob again? Um, and the friend just said, well, really glad you, you know, really glad you called. And then he went, well, how's your wife? And he said, oh, well, you know, she died two years ago. Oh, right. And what that, you know, even as a coach, what that's made me realize is just, you know, sometimes the people who matter to you really, really matter to you go through stuff and by texting them by you know just oh it's okay i've got them on whatsapp or i've got them on facebook on insta or you know we're tiktoking or doing whatever you, you just don't know right no. there's there's not that that tone in the voice there's and and you know my my client was just like i can't believe that you know i how i hold this person in such a high esteem and I wasn't there for them. No. And no, it's missed opportunities. It is. I think it comes back to the original point, I suppose, where we're talking about authenticity. And you can, mm. you can screen that authenticity very easily on WhatsApp or, like you said, maybe with a GIF. You know, you're literally with a GIF. You, unless it's a GIF of yourself, you're choosing to portray an emotion, whether it's true or false, with someone else portraying an emotion, which is a, a I don't know, a bizarre... I suppose if you looked at it... From an alien's perspective, quite a bizarre thing for a human well, to do. Something has just hit me and I do it. I do it all the time. So I'm going to need to work on that. But, you know, you deliver, you deliver kind of bad news and then, you know, you add a smiley. <laughs> Seriously. I, and I've had people deliver bad news to me with XX afterwards. Yeah. And it, it's just like... So we're, we're trying to convey this emotion or we're, we're trying to, but we're not. No, we've almost gone backwards. A bit like the concord of, 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 of human language, I suppose, mm. where, and I'm not a linguist, um, but emojis seem to be like a step forward from where we were, but they're not really. They're just a step slightly closer, perhaps, to where we where we were originally and uh i struggle with it i mean i'm so old-fashioned i still put the um the noses in smiley faces so that's the yeah uh, <laughs> oh well good uh, it's not just me but uh yeah I'll, okay I'll, I'll 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 move on to the ne next point that i've been thinking about and um there's a lot of talk about flow states in terms of um productivity and efficiency at work and and in life and one of the drums that i bang and have banged for years is that um for, for sales teams that i've run is you know the little envelope that comes up when you've got an, e an email or the mm. thing god's sake turn it off just that one thing alone can 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 help you and, and and then my job as a sales manager here is done not quite um but everyone seems to be um an expert but you know i'm sure i'm sure they're not and i'm certainly not i mean can you enlighten us at all on on flow states um in in your experience and your expertise Okay, so um, you, you're going to have to bear with me on this one again, uh, but we, we all have, at least on the basic level, the conscious mind and an unconscious mind. Um, it's actually the mind, but they, they work in different, well, these two sections work in a different way. And I'm not an expert. I'm just, you know, sharing what I believe I know about how the, the mind functions. So the conscious mind in itself um, can hold roughly um, five to seven chunks of information so if it's like oh I must um, I must do the, the shopping when I come back tonight um, I must focus on this report um, or you know what's for dinner I've had a disagreement blah blah the email coming in will be one more chunk or you know someone someone putting pressure on you will be one more chunk mm -hmm. whereas at the unconscious mind level, that's where we have emotion, we have behaviors, we have memories, we have language, we have tons of things. And, you know, if we manage to get into the unconscious competence stage, 
um, then we have full access to all of that stuff. And I believe that that's when we're in a flow state. So it's, for example, if you're learning a car at the beginning, you know that you don't know. So you're consciously incompetent. Then when you're learning, you know, to move the, the gear stick and all that, you become consciously competent. It, and you know it's conscious because you have to think about it. And right. after a while, you'll be driving your car and go, how did I get there? That's, mm. that's flow. And that's when you really access all of your potential. Um, working through your unconscious mind and understanding different patterns and just being able to extract resources a lot faster, a lot smoother um, than pushing everything in the conscious mind. So what, okay, oh, and that's brilliant. And it's, it's I can visualize that completely. I, just a, a, a little question that's occurred to me. It's, it's not a bugbear of mine, but I've always wondered in that sense, then if you're trying to achieve, particularly in work, that sense of flow where you're trying to be as productive as possible or get as much out of your staff as, as you can with, without breaking them. <laughs> um, yeah. What's the fascination with open plan offices? Because I've always thought that although there's, there's inevitably some benefits, um, I, I, believe that overall they're a bad idea I, I always have in the I know COVID notwithstanding COVID-19 I mean that's a separate issue but before that I, I being cons constantly interrupted and when someone asks an inane question and six people get involved in the answer and I, I just I don't know maybe I've got my knickers in a twist about it but I, I inherently think they're a bad idea because they're they other than the telephone and emails they are the biggest source of interruption of flow that that you that you can imagine and i used to work alongside software engineers and they they talked about a study that was done that says if you take it out of your flow when you when you're programming software of which i know nothing about it takes you at least 15 minutes to get back yeah. to where you were so you've essentially wasted half an hour um and you know. we get interrupted all the time constantly yeah, yeah. So, so is is the open plan office uh, you know and i'm throwing this one out of you a bit out of left of field but is do you feel that the the be, the benefits outweigh the, the you know the, the the negative side of it or? I think I think it's a bit of a hybrid here. I I definitely get your point. Um, however, there is also this beauty called um, tacit knowledge diffusion. So, Ooh. as a as a HR professional, um, what you want to achieve, or hopefully what you want to achieve, is to have. Um, how do I explain it is to have all the stuff that you can't write down kept within your business as much as possible. So for example, um, you know, all these social events or open plan offices or breakfasts and stuff like that, where there is proximity and yeah, noise as, as I would explain it. Well, that then helps you to just go, Oh, Simon, can you can you help me with that? Because I, I'm I'm comfortable with you and I don't need to write an email and I don't need to do all these things. And mm -hmm. you know, often we lose team members and although they are being replaced, it's never the same. It's a different mm. you know, even though we can standardize and process and all of that, what makes the secret source in the company is this tacit knowledge diffusion, the ability to pass on knowledge informally. So I believe that well, the future of the workplace is definitely going to be a hybrid. I'm glad that there are um, now there is more of an awareness around people don't need to be under your constant eye to be high performers. Mm. Um, you know, it's brilliant that people can work from home and it's great to have them connect in an, in a informal, formal setting so that you still get that, you know, tacit tacit knowledge diffusion going, you know, diffusing within the business. Mm. Oh, so it, that's a new one on me. I mean, I I know that sort of again pre COVID there was a in the last few years there's been quite a move towards shared workspaces and the likes of WeWork offices in London and other and other cities. And obviously that's a a challenge now going forward. You know, this sort of wagamama all sit together type. Uh, arrangement as this has to be um, reimagined so i'd always thought that perhaps it was there's an element where 
um, people particularly working on their own perhaps felt a bit lonely and just would like to sort of have other people around them or you know they, their their home conditions meant that they didn't have really have a workspace they could get their head into into work but then perhaps with that like you said that informal um, chat if you like with even people outside of your business but in the same workspace probably have the same effect then I guess is what you're saying and exactly and at the same time I used well I I still am uh be a member of um work life which is a, a similar place and in the last seven years I'm I'm used to co-working spaces um and even if I go to a client site as HR I will refuse to be given an office I want to be an open space okay. however if I need to put myself in flow I will well, personally, that's my technique. I put my earphones on. Um, yeah. it, it may appear rude, um, but it's my way of being productive. Mm. Um, I've also set up white noise boxes um, in, you know, call centers because okay. the noise is very loud. And I agree with you. It's, it's hard to focus, you know, when, when the person next to you is trying to sell and you're trying to do something else, etc. Right. Um, so you can actually purchase white noise boxes and, you know, it's like when you're on a plane, you don't mm -hmm. hear it, but you know, it's gone once it stops. And it, it does reduce the work, the, the, the level of noise quite a lot. Oh. Well, I've not heard of those. I mean, I've been on noisy airplanes when you've got that and you, like you said, it can be, yeah. um, well, and you need some really good headphones if you're trying to listen to music yourself. But no, I, I didn't, I didn't know that was a, didn't know that was a thing. Um, yeah. Like I've, I've been asked, you know, should we, um, should we lower the partitions between desks? Oh no, should we put the partitions between desks higher up? And it's always been, no, don't do that. Just, you know, think of having, you know, something else like white noise. Mm. Oh, fascinating. Um, just a couple more questions and then uh, I can leave you be. I appreciate you taking the time out. Um, objectives and goals. So they're a key part of sales and indeed most roles, um, or at least should be, uh, in my opinion. But um, you explore setting goals in day-to-day -day life in the book. And can you explain how this differs from sort of home life and work life and what the what the benefits are essentially to setting goals in your in your in your home life i know it might seem like an obvious question but i think uh i for one certainly up until probably my 40s could be described as a drifter um so um i just wonder whether i'd uh, be happier more content and more successful if i'd have grabbed hold of that idea uh, two decades earlier <laughs> <laughs> well you know you only do what you can with the resources you have available so yeah it, it, that that's it um so again going back to how the the mind the unconscious mind and all of that functions as as human beings we are also there to develop and grow that's also within our dna we always want to seek more and more and and get all of that so i think it's extremely beneficial to take some time out and really think about what do you want you know, not, not other people. What do you want for you? Um, and not talk about, well, I want to be happy because that's a, a kind of cop out. You can eat, a, you know, I don't know, cinnamon bun and feel happy and therefore you are happy. It's more, what do you want? What do you want to achieve? What do you want people to say of you? Stephen Covey in Seven Habits talks of um, imagining your own epitaph, your own funeral. What do you want people to say about who you are? And it's, I personally don't want to, you know, turn around and go, oh, I, I wish I would have more time to achieve this. Um, obviously right now I'll never be a, you know, pro tennis player. A, I don't like tennis and B, I, I don't want to train. I could end <laughs> up being a pro, but so it, it's really having goals that matter to you. And then um, there is um, something in our, in our mind, which is called the reticular activated s system. And what it does, basically, it's, you know, when you're in a crowd mm -hmm. and there might be thousands of people, but you really will recognize your mate over there. You will find them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because you, you set the mind the task of look for 
I'll use Bob again, um, and, and you will find them. Well, when you set goals, you can activate the same part of your brain so that you don't have to always consciously work on it, but unconsciously you will seek opportunities to get what you want. So what was that um, term again? Sorry, I'm going to write that down because I'm... A reticular activated system. Okay. RA, uh, yeah, R, we, we call it the RAS. Um, and working, you know, that's where the whole law of attraction, the secret and all of that comes from where you set a goal and there's a specific way of doing it. You set a goal and then you let it go. Um, so, you know, basics of goals, seriously, <laughs> now, now I'm going to get on my soapbox. <laughs> basics of goals. A, it needs to be a goal that motivates you. Like I, I do training on goals and you see people sit down at their, you know, their desk, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper and go, <sighs> <laughs> and then start writing and you're like what are you doing that's not a goal um so you need to make them exciting um the example i like to use is um if i believe i need to go on a diet um and i will put down in december um i need to lose two stone or um yeah i will lose two stone by december goals like this mm-hmm. are they motivating no. So the way to, to change that is really to get the whole principle on its head and think about um, it is the 20th of December um, and I'm wearing this little black dress, size blah, whatever you want to put in there. Um, and I'm just about, you know, putting earrings on and getting ready to go down the stairs and wow, all the family. I'm feeling great about all the effort I've put in, in the last couple of months to, you know, follow this exercise regime. And I feel healthy and optimistic you know that seems so much more exciting than i will lose two stone in Mm. december um it has a date it is specific it uses all of your internal representation and it really activates that little bit bit at the back of your brain to go i'm going to seek opportunities and in hypnosis and in, in nlp you use these pictures then to motivate you and make you believe that it is you now. So it makes it easier to achieve what you want to achieve. No, I really like that. It is. Well, that's how I ended up writing a book. Um, (laughs) I can, I can probably pull out the page where I wrote down. It is uh, March, I think 2017. And it was an exhibition and I could see myself selling the book to people. Um, that image was so prevalent every single time it, it would uplift me, you know, it would be like, Oh, cool. I've got three hours to work on the book. Yay. Mm. Like a positive sort of visualization, you know, like a lot of sports people talk about that as well. Don't they? I mean, the Johnny Wilkinson uh, rugby player was one of the most uh, famous, I suppose, with this sort of cupped hand. Uh, Maybe it's a different thing, but he would, he would use that technique to, to anchor himself to, to then visualize the ball going over the goalposts. I mean, I don't know a thing about rugby, but um, that, that resonated with me. Exactly. Those are, those are anchors. Uh, so I'm trying to find, I actually have one on my desk, uh, which is a key ring. Um, and this is a, an anchor for work-life balance um, because that's something I'm, I'm working on as a goal, um, considering the personal life has changed. Um, and every time I look at this object, it reminds me of that goal and activates all the work that I've done. So unconsciously, it is in front of my face and I'm not seeing it all the time so I can continue doing my day-to-day stuff. Oh, wow. No, that's great. I think there's probably, it'd be great to have you back when you're further on with your next book to maybe pick up some stuff on connections. But I'm conscious mm. that if you're trying to balance your work and your life, then I'm not going to take any more of your time apart from <laughs> the last question that I ask all my, all my guests and what's the meaning of, no, it's, I, I always like to, uh, to, to end. 42. Yeah. <laughs> is um, <clears throat> from a, it's usually from a sales perspective, but um, you know, obviously you can come at it from any angle you want is to, to, to give a tip 
essentially a little freebie, um, a way to people. And perhaps it, it's around authenticity in terms of what, what would you advise, if you could only give one piece of advice to the listener regarding authenticity, what, what, would, you, what would you advise them, salesperson or not, what would your tip be? I think it's, it's always about starting the work with yourself then you know then bringing it to others you you need to be absolutely clear and truthful about what it is that you're you're doing um for example i've noticed areas um within me that i did not like um and i used to go well no, no, it, it's not me. I, I'm, I'm not this. Reject it, and then you know, put the pressure on myself to do something different. And, and people could feel it. Whereas now I'm a, I believe I'm a complete open book. Um, so that when I'm in front of a, of a client, um, I will honestly, deeply tell them what I believe is is my truth, and I will honestly completely listen to their truth and then bring them a, a solution to their problem and mm. I think that that really comes to building trust um, and without trust you can't sell anything no. no that's true fantastic well thank you well thank you very much for uh, for joining me absolutely fascinating and hopefully uh, you'll consider joining me again when uh, when you've got the next book on the shelves or at an exhibition probably virtual if it's anytime soon and uh, thank you very much again i really appreciate it oh, thanks for having me you're welcome